0: are made possible by donations from people like you. Why study the precepts and commit to them when it's such a challenge for this wild old hippie grandma to follow any rules? I've got a habit of breaking them and bending them. For someone who's always questioned rules, I found it a paradox that boundaries allow me freedom. The Christian commandments I was taught were often negative. They were worded badly, somehow. They seemed hypocritical and unhelpful. But these precepts, however, are a personal and evolving navigation system that allows for and actually creates change and growth. The precepts have provided a framework for recreating my boundaries in a less self-centered way. Studying the precepts with the sangha members for 12 months and discussing them with my partner has brought me closer to others and helped me to drop some of my sense of delusions about my separateness. Setting an intention is helpful. Physically engages the frontal cortex of my brain, so more of my computer is working on it. The precepts are an invitation to be wise and compassionate observing like a scientist but being kind to myself in the process. After all, I did put these old habits in place as a form of self-preservation and they worked at the time. Now I will wisely allow the gentle loosening of these ties of the self-centered self. The public declaration of intention helps me generate the discipline to persist. This is a lifelong journey. Studying the precepts is ongoing. I undertake this journey knowing the separateness of self causes suffering for myself and others. The first precept. I take up the way of respecting life, of non-harming, and finding ways to reduce suffering in the world, avoiding ways that lead to separation, a form of killing, and disconnection from my thoughts, words, and deeds. By waking up to what I do, service to others seems like the next natural step forward. I will try to avoid waste, as this is a form of taking and not respecting life one precept for me really contains all the other precepts. Respect life. I soon found just how hard this precept work is. Cleaning my house of spiders, mice, cockroaches, mozzies. Precept work is not easy. The second precept, taking only that which is freely given, noticing my greed, noticing my fear of scarcity, my mistrust in the future, not being happy with what I have now, noticing my internal conversation, justification for greed, for taking more than I need, even if it's just the biggest piece of cake or that last piece of sweet potato. I once had an alcoholic husband and two small children. We were often financially stretched. I became very practiced at getting the best out of every situation, often at the expense of others. I was doing the best I could at the time, but it's an old habit that I no longer need. I now cultivate an attitude of gratitude and try to be generous an understanding of those who are in need. A third precept, avoiding misusing sexuality. I came of age in the late 60s, just as the pill was becoming available, women's live and free love. It wasn't free. There was a cost attached. I soon learnt that. When I finally learned to really love and care for myself, I realized how easily sexuality can hurt others and myself. I felt relieved that I'd finally found practical boundaries that made real sense around this powerful energy. The fourth precept, speaking truthfully with kindness, means for me, actively listening inwardly for what is honest, helpful and timely before I speak. As a girl with a strict mother, I needed more freedom. I got into the habit of bending the truth for my own benefit. I was really good at it. It became an ingrained habit for pursuing my self-centered dream. Cultivating wisdom with my words I intend to listen more fully to notice the tendencies I have for moving away from alignment with the truth, being curious about why, and not judging myself for it. Becoming a vessel for speech that inspires and guides others towards compassion. The fifth precept, proceed clearly. I do not want to clown my mind with delusions and substances that reduce awareness. I realised it is not just chemicals but also habitual dependencies on certain concepts that hold me back from being fully present. Joko's core belief for me resonates as not feeling lovable or good enough and can mean that my mind becomes clouded with defence mechanisms. Just noticing that clouding of the mind and allowing change when wise to do so. Although my habit was only one glass of wine in the evening, which I really enjoy, I was inspired by Chichna Khan's comments on this precept. He reminded me that alcohol causes more deaths than smoking and destroys people, families and children. I have witnessed this personally with the loss of my 21-year-old granddaughter three years ago in an alcohol-related car accident. I had children with two men who developed serious drinking issues. I want to be an inspiration to my children. I decided to become sober curious and give up entirely for a while. I've stayed for six months and found I could still relax, have fun and join in socially without a drink. I can see the huge impact alcohol has in this world and the suffering it creates. And without needing to say anything, sober people can lead by example, making it easier for people to stay sober, especially if they are still relaxed and fun to be with. I stopped drinking in early October, I've had several celebratory drinks on special occasions since. The sixth precept, refraining from speaking ill of others, focusing on the good in others, only sharing what is helpful, speaking of others with openness and possibility, and not getting caught up in concepts of others. This was a tricky one for me as it soon became apparent how much socializing involves speaking about others. Start off speaking nicely, next minute it turns nasty and everybody's having a ball. It's so delicious. Often it is only on reflection that I can catch myself. It's so quick to happen. I can see the way I get caught up in dissing. Dissing? Disassociating, separating oneself. This was another reason to stay sober, where I can be more aware and can change the subject, or leave or even avoid certain people. The seventh precept, seeing the self and others as one. It's a bit similar, it follows on. Not comparing oneself to others or elevating oneself. I have become aware of my tendency to be greedy for attention. In conversation, I sometimes get into storytelling. My family are all really good storytellers. <laughs> We're really competitive with each other too. <laughs> Somehow, my story is more important. It's a really good story. I fail to notice that other people might not be so excited about it and it probably even becomes boring. It's a means of building up the self. As the famous poem, the Desert Dorada says, do not compare yourself to others or you may become vain or bitter. A friend once said to me, just walking into Tormina shopping mall always makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> I've noticed that too. But why do I need this constant reaffirming, this comparing with others? Maybe it's because the self is not real. It just wants to be the dominant identity and not just a sometimes useful lens when dealing with life. The eighth precept. Being generous in thought, word and deed. Noticing when I'm not. Being generous to myself also in my self-care. Saying yes to the beggar, to the charity, to the busker, to the person asking for help. Sometimes with money, but also with time and energy. Smiling and making eye contact is also a way of giving. Hearing the cries of help from the planet Letting my sadness and anger for the world be transformed into action, tempering this with listening inwardly to what my needs are and taking time out for a balanced, sustainable life, which leads to the next, the ninth precept, refraining from self-indulgent anger. That is observing and resisting personal anger about me, my and mine. It's not a really big issue for me. This anger is different from life-affirming anger, which is a source of energy to be heard and harnessed. <coughs> I put my transformed anger, my life-affirming anger, into my environmental activism. Many activists who I work with, however, are still engaging in personal anger and are hard to work with. Transformed anger carries no heat, no ego. It is compassion in action. It's the clean, renewable energy. The world needs to make the switch. Clean, renewable, compassionate energy from recycled, self-indulgent anger. <laughs> Noticing my patterns around anger in others, I challenge myself to be the observer and not to take it personally when someone gets angry around me. Knowing that bad behaviour often comes from trauma makes it easier for me to forgive. But that doesn't mean accepting. If I can't let go of the sting of someone's righteous anger, I come back later in the calm to debrief with the angry person if necessary. Finally the 10th precept, respecting and only speaking well of the triple jewel, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Our community and teachers and the teachings are precious to me. I'm very grateful for this and realise how lucky we are to be in a situation and have them in my life. I try to nurture and love them all. I recently saw a social media attack on the Dalai Lama. Social media seems to be almost designed for opportunities to cast aspersions with no real responsibility or accountability. Mass consciousness can be dangerous in this way and can be very addictive and can cloud the mind. I try to avoid social media for this reason. The Dalai Lama is someone who I've always respected and learned from and loved. Knowing his lifelong dedication to release the world of suffering, I'm grateful to having access to his wondrous teachings. His compassion to the Chinese in spite of the atrocities inflicted on his beloved people is truly inspiring for me. His tenth precept for me means seeing the humanness of even this most reverent being, knowing that our teachers too are doing the best they can with the conditioning life has imprinted on them. Maintaining my respect for the Dharma, knowing the truth of the priceless teachings because I have directly experienced and benefited from them and sharing the Dharma with others who are interested. For me, the Sena includes all sentient beings and even the rivers, the mountains and the oceans that some people would say are not alive. I endeavor to be compassionate to all. I take up the way of respecting life in all its beauty and ugliness. So now the precepts take full circle, knowing that without ugliness, there is no beauty. Without suffering and the hard precept work, for me, there can be no personal growth. Although my tendency is to hold on to thoughts, concepts of self, words and form, and especially this body, I know that everything, absolutely everything, is in constant flux. The only constant is the silence, this space that embraces all that allows all. Now the precepts don't seem like boundaries at all, just the natural thing to do. Respecting life, for me, means holding it gently, patiently, with wonder and joy, like the first moments of holding my newly born grandchild, my grandson Kai, born right there in front of me just 10 days ago after a 25-hour labour of love not owning or over-identifying with the wild hippie grandma, just being there to help and love. For me, this is what all the precepts say. I want to do that. Just letting go of ownership and identification. I hold this life, this precious life, patiently, gently, with wonder and joy. Just being there to help and love. Thank you.